Hey everybody, this is Tony Bancroft, and I gotta say, I'm just so excited to be a part of the Great Big Beautiful podcast with Jamie and Justin. They just interviewed me. I feel honored. I got like Disney dust sprinkling all over me right now, and I feel all effervescent and Disney magical. Come check out the podcast. Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... I think that people forget is that they, they don't look at Disney as not only one, a company, but a juggernaut. You know, it's, it's, a, it's this massive company. So they, they can't do anything small. They don't, that's not the way they think because it takes so much synergy between all the, their travel agents, their theme parks, all their, how does this film work into our theme parks? And they want to kind of work it through the whole company if it's going to make money uh, because for it to make money, it has to be huge. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the GBB Podcast. Find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast. And how are you doing this week, Jamie? I'm doing great. How are you doing this week, Justin? I am fantastic as always, as you can imagine. Excellent. That's (laughs) what I like to hear always. (laughs) Right. And for those who have listened for a while, one of our first guests, well, he wasn't necessarily the first, but he was very close uh, was Tony Bancroft, the legendary Tony Bancroft. And the we had legendary. him, <laughs> and he's one half of the Bancroft brothers who have a podcast. And we decided, you know what? Why not have both of them on? <laughs> just, <laughs> let's just make it an even pair. Let's, right? just do the whole, let's just do the twin thing. We'll get them on. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure Tom would love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Tom in his own right is an amazing creative talent, and he has a great career. And you know, I think they must have feuds between each other. I think we even talked about that in the interview. Yeah, they do. If you listen to their show at all, um, really, you just have to listen to any pick any random episode, and uh, and it's it's hilarious because they spend half the episode sort of picking on each other and and sort of trying to one up <laughs> each other. So um, their show really is. And I think we talked about this when we had right. Tony on, but their their show really is just fascinating. Like if you're an animation student or an artist at all. Um, it's incredibly informative. And if you're just a fan, it's super insightful and uh, just just a fascinating listen because they've got a lot of... Because both of them spent so many years working for Disney um, and Tony is still out uh, in the L.A. area, but they're both still in the industry. And so they've got a lot of connections, obviously, and they know a lot of really mm-hmm. great, great people. So the guests that they're able to bring onto the show are just phenomenal. Um I mean, if you like the episodes that we do with animation, like if you're like if you like that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, their show is basically all about animation. It's all about it's got great, great animators and artists and guests that they come on. They just basically they just talk shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Tom is a great guy. Tom, uh, it's funny we talk about this in, the inter- in our interview. Is Tom and Tony both started. Disney basically at the same exact time on the same exact project, which is really weird since they're twins. Right. Um, <laughs> they're a package deal. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Disney, it's like, get one, get them both. It's yeah. like, you know, half the price <laughs> or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, Tom, Tom sort of, you know, just like, just like is most people, you know, he, he started off as just sort of an, an assistant and in-betweener and then worked his way up. Um, and he worked on a lot of films. He worked on, you know, I, I think his first thing was, uh, a Roger Rabbit short, and then mm-hmm. he moved up through, you know, Rescuers Down Under and Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, Mulan. Once he was on Mulan, um, he did. He was supervising animator for Mushu. Right. Um, but he's just. I mean, he's still in the industry. He worked a lot on the Veggie Tales. Right. That was, that was. I was about to say. Yeah. I had no idea he did Veggie Tales until he said it when we were interviewing. Well, he didn't create Veggie Tales, but like no, he, but he, he worked, worked on it. Like, he worked on it for them for a long time, and he yeah. did a lot of stuff for them. So yeah. So if you know Veggie Tales, you've probably yeah. seen something that Tom has done. <laughs> Um, but yeah, now he's, he's got taught by a pro, which is, um, and like basically like online learning for animators. Um, and he's got a Kickstarter kicking off this week too. So hopefully we're going to link to that once it goes mm-hmm. live. 
Um, but he's a great guy. Great guy, great conversation. Right, and as Jamie was saying, if you are into animation at all, what could be a better uh, podcast to listen to than, you know, than the, than Tony and Tom talking? Yeah. You know what like I mean? Two, like, it's just two, two guys, seasoned, legendary guys. Right? Yeah, like, two seasoned <laughs> Disney animators who, um, you know, were there for like, from right through the 90s and and the aughts and it's just mm-hmm. sort of like they they were there and they they have such fat, incredible stories and um the experience that the two of these guys have together um it's just phenomenal so the, the yeah if, if, the, if you're interested in animation at all check out their show so, so what you're saying really is great. when you listen to their podcast it's not just listening to Two dads drinking beer, talking about animation. <laughs> no, Two if you want something like that, come to our show. <laughs> Stick with us because you, we won't steer you wrong. Yeah, you will not be disappointed if that's what you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so we're going to play that episode for you right now. Tom, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, I know we've been dying to have you on since way back when we started. We had uh, your brother Tony on. And he was trash talking you up and down, up and down, all over the place. I so. believe it. He's so jealous. <laughs> no, no, he was very kind, very gracious. Um, but he did mention at the time that we had to have you on, and we just have never been able to connect and and get you on. But now here you are, and we're just I'm very thrilled busy. to have you. Very busy. Very <laughs> um, thank you. I'm happy to be here, guys. This is fun already. Excellent. Um, unless I'm mistaken, and correct me if I am, but both you and Tony began your careers at Disney on the Roger Rabbit short Roller Coaster Rabbit. Did you both? Is that correct? That is correct. That was our very first production at Disney. So how did it happen that twin brothers both began at the same studio on the same project? <laughs> well, well, we got hired together. Um, to back it up slightly, we were at Cal Arts together, and that's California Institute of the Arts, and right. it was sort of the uh, breeding ground, uh, and, and to some degree it still is for Disney. Uh, Walt Disney actually founded the school. And uh, so we both got uh, accepted into an internship at, for the Disney California studio, but that internship was, and, that, and this was in our second year, so about halfway into our second year, Disney came, looked at portfolios, accepted both me and Tony and a couple other people. And we all were in this internship uh, with other people from other schools too. So there was maybe, I don't know, 20, maybe 30 uh, people in this internship. Mm -hmm. And it was specifically to staff the Florida studio. They're about to open Mm -hmm. what was then the Disney MGM studio. uh, And they were gonna have an animation tour and you're gonna see a working studio. And they needed people, just needed bodies out there to staff it. and they had just like a few months before that decided that it should be a working studio because it was going to have just pretend artists, you know, just mannequins um, sitting there, right? Yeah, mannequins. <laughs> there was even at one point, yeah, talk of like a audio animatronic. Uh, right, they're pretty good at that, I hear. Yeah, pretending to animate, um, but that was probably more expensive than we were. So, so they got real art students to go down there, and uh, so with very little training, we went down there. But they they actually were smart because they staffed it with some some big name people too. Like Mark Henn was my mentor and he was a, one of, I think, uh, Disney's 10 best present day uh, traditional animators. And uh, so with a couple core, you know, experienced people, there were a lot of newbies and that was the beginning. And so, yeah, so Tony and I both were flown out to Florida to open that studio in, uh, I think it was May of 89. Hmm. Yeah. So... Our first production was Roller Coaster Rabbit. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this again in a little bit. You guys co-host your own podcast, which focuses on, you know, animation and specifically geared toward artists. Um, yes, we do. But so I just from listening to that, and I'm, I love the show, um, I imagine that there's always been a bit of competition between the two of you. Kind of you, you, you play it <laughs> off and it's yeah. obvious. Um, yeah. But did working at Disney at the same time, did it amplify that? Or did you guys find that you, you came closer and said like, we're in this together kind of thing? Uh, oh man, it amplified it. I would say, yeah. fortunately <laughs> um, it, it didn't at first. Um, and, and I'll get into the nitty gritty a little bit here. And, and just because uh because now we can look back and laugh, right? And, and a lot of our, and by the way, our podcast is called the, the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. Go look it up after you listen to this. We will link to it. <laughs> right. Oh, good. Thank you. Don't worry. <laughs> um, 
And uh, but anyway, we joke about it a lot and we are still competitive, but I think it's a healthy competition. Mm -hmm. There were times it wasn't healthy, like when we were in high school and, and junior college, we got a little competitive and, and negative. Um, but when we went to Disney, I think we kind of were both all in it together and both wanted us, you know, we've always wanted each other to succeed. What, what got competitive was we were fighting for the same jobs. And so um, it wasn't tell Disney that that actually happened where we were like, okay, wait a second. They only have one position. So what happened was in the Florida studio, which we both were flown out to work for about after about, I don't know, almost a year, uh, Disney decided they needed more um, animating assistance. And that's like a junior animator. So we were, we had started at the beginning position, which is in cleanup and, and on a traditionally animated film, that means you're, you're cleaning up, like putting a piece of paper over the animator's drawing and making a nice, tight, clean, refined drawing. And that's actually the drawing that goes on and becomes a uh, photograph for ink and paint and is in the film. Mm -hmm. And then the rough drawings are filed away. But, but the real sort of exciting rock star place was to be an animator, right? Because that you're starting with a blank piece of paper, sure. creating the animation and the life, right? So everybody wanted to be an animator. So... They only had one, because the Florida studio was so small at the time, about a year in, we were maybe 80 people, something like that. While the California studio, the main one that was there since whatever, the forties, um, that had a couple hundred at least at the yeah. time. And it got bigger, of course, but at the time it was maybe two, 250, I'm guessing. So much bigger, a lot more people. And, and they were starting to, to do, uh, and that was right in that transition when they started to do two features a year. Um, so they wanted to start cranking out more. And so they split the studio, the California studio in half and half went on to Lion King and half went on to Pocahontas. That's a whole other story. But the sort of the chain reaction of that is that now they needed more animating assistance. They needed to kind of pull people up from, and so this was like, Oh, we're so excited. This is our big chance to, mm -hmm. and it was only about a year in. So this was good timing for us. We felt like, you know, we felt day one that we wanted to be animators. So yeah. it's like we had to wait a year, you know, <laughs> but they only needed one animating assistant in Florida. There was only one position and there was about, I don't know, 15 people that were going to try for it. Yeah. That were gonna clean up. And Tony and I were, were both one. And so Tony made, but they also floated it out there that, but, there's like six positions in California animating assistant positions. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing, you can submit your animation tests and you had to work, uh, you know, like longer hours, like weekends and at nights to do this animation test to kind of get promoted. So you had to do an animation test, but they'd only let you submit it to one or the other, not both. So you had to pick Florida or California. And if you got California, it meant you were moving to California. Mm -hmm. Well, Tony had been engaged to this girl in California. That's where we had come from. So he was like, "Yeah, I'm going to go for California," and I said, "I'm I'm going for Florida because I I I had been I just got married and we were settling in into Florida, mm -hmm. and so but again, one position in Florida, six or yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and and not, I'm not belittling Tony did a good job in his test, <laughs> but he got he got the job one yeah. of the positions in California. I did not mm -hmm. get. The position in Florida. Mm -hmm. Aaron Blaze, who's a incredible yeah. animator. It was kind of, well, I'm going to say this and I don't know if it's fact. It was kind of between the three of us, you know? And so with Tony leaving, Aaron got the the next the position in Florida and I had to wait another whole year for the next yeah. job opportunity to get promoted. Well, in the meantime, it, they were promoting like crazy in California. So Tony got a lot of opportunity in those early days. And that was, so that year or so where I was still in cleanup and he was starting to get to animate on uh, Rescuers Down Under and mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think the beginning of, what was after that? That had been Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And then he got to animate on Beauty and the Beast. I became an animating assistant on Beauty and the Beast. So anyway, I was like a notch below for about a year, year and a half. And during that time, yeah, it was pretty competitive <laughs> <laughs> and negative and he would like, and he was trying to, you know, like sort of, you know, he'd send me like, oh, look at this great scene I just did. And, you know, Will Finn, my, the animator he worked with uh, on Cogsworth, he gave me this great scene. It's a close-up of dialogue. I mean, it was like something that you, after you've been there for five or seven years, you would get, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was getting it almost like within the first month mm -hmm. of being there. 
I was just like, oh my gosh. Meanwhile, I'm doing like what we call boogermation. Yeah. I, my first animation on Beauty and the Beast was boogermation. We, we, that's a term we, mm-hmm. Tony and I made up. <laughs> um, but it's where you're drawing people like from, they're so far away. They're like, like little boogers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> animating these. And there were all these guys saying that they're going to go kill the beast, right? They're singing that song and they had the pitchforks. And so I did a lot of crowd scenes and boogermation. Yeah. And it was just. Miserable. Is, is that how it appears in the credits at the end? Boogermation artist. <laughs> uh, Bancroft. Yeah, that's what it would have said. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it should. It should. <laughs> I, I think it turns people's stomachs a little bit. But do you do you think that spending that extra time? I mean, did it give you a better appreciation for the process? You know, in retrospect. Oh yeah. I mean, here's the thing about uh, looking back at, at both of our uh, our um, our careers. They're still both pretty lush. You know, we both worked on a lot of great films. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, I, I didn't. There was the first whatever, almost five years that I didn't get as much opportunity uh, as Tony. And, and I certainly was jealous of those years. But um, as soon as it did get rolling in Florida, we expanded and we started doing our own features and stuff. Uh, then then it was very comfortable. And, and I was mm-hmm. kind of where I felt like I was doing what I was up to my ability, I guess right. you could say. So I felt more fulfilled and, and, and it was all great after that. But, um, but yeah, I look back and I go, well, I got, you know, I did a lot of diverse things. I worked on some commercials I worked and they were all through Disney. So they were like the little mermaid, uh, you know, um, McDonald's commercial or, mm-hmm. or, you know, um, a video game that they did, we did the Aladdin video game for Sega back in the Florida studio. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, but that was a now classic, you know, yeah. uh, 8-bit video game. And uh, we animated a lot of that in, in the Florida studio. So, yeah, it was very, just a bunch of different things. Like, it wasn't like the starry moments that, and some of the big features, unfortunately. Although I touched them all. Um, but again, it was Burgermation or Crowd. <laughs> uh, but by, by Lion King, I was doing Young Simba and, and getting a lot better scenes. So it was, it was yeah. great. I mean, you started, I mean, you, you, you joke, you say you started with the Boogermation, but you've since become kind of known for, for character design and you've written, actually written a couple of the seminal books on the topic. So, yeah. um, but I'm, I'm wondering like, how do animators fall into those respective niches that they eventually become known for or they focus in? Like how did character design become quote unquote your thing? Or was it just uh, a... Yeah, that it was a little bit of a fluke, the character design thing. Like, it wasn't something I was seeking. Um, I, we had been taught character design by some really great uh, uh, former Disney people. Like, Mike Giamo taught our character design class at CalArts back when we were students. Mike Giamo then went into uh, to become the art director of Pocahontas and things like that. Very talented guy. And um, But I just remember at CalArts loving that, Loving character designs. I, right. I love the idea of creating characters. And it was the one class that I would make sure I never missed. It was the one I put the most work into every assignment because I knew that would be my portfolio to get me into Disney. Was The majority was going to be character design. Mm-hmm. And it was. So I kind of already had that background, but then got into animation at Disney. And, and from that point on, it's very departmental. And so my animation career at Disney was pretty exclusive to just animating, you know, uh, they don't let you design the characters. There's only one or two people that do that per feature film. So, uh, and the final design, at least in the 2d animation days, uh, was done by the supervising animator of each character. So until you become a supervising animator, you don't get to do character design really at Disney, not professionally. Um, so, uh, I kind of did some things on the side. I started back in the days of Beauty and the Beast when I was doing the boring crowds and programmation. I started freelancing a lot and I started doing uh, um, some side animation for Disney television and then also did uh, Disney Adventures uh, comic book work. Um, And that was sort of my release of um, getting to be challenged myself a little bit more. And your creative release to to create something new. Exactly. Because believe it or not, it was kind of bored at work. Yeah. The crowds and stuff. So just during that phase, I started like, I really wanted to kind of do something just for me and Mm -hmm. and make a little money on the side. And so that's when I started getting into that. Um, And even in some of those Disney comics, like I did a Darkwing Duck story and I had to design a villain. 
And so just for the comic. So it was fun. I'd start doing some character design on the side. Um, and then fast forward, not until after I left Disney. And then, of course, when I became a supervising animator at Disney, I did Mushu. And I created him and, and did the final design of Mushu and, and, and did character design uh, of Mushu for almost six months to a year. It was a long process. Millions of different versions of Mushu. Uh, or hundreds, I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> it felt like millions. Yeah. And then then got into doing more and more character design. I did Polly and John Henry, who's the female lead um, in the John Henry short for Disney. Um, and then left Disney and uh, went off to Big Idea and... I'm trying to condense this, but uh, it's a character design for them because I created a whole uh, VeggieTales uh, 2D show for them and designed a whole new cast of characters in a very kind of flash-friendly 2D flat stuff. And um, more and more getting into it, but right about that, and then uh, went back to Disney for about a year um, after Big Idea went bankrupt and um, did Brother Bear, and then uh, kind of a fluke thing happened, I, and then that was temporary. So I knew I was only going to be on Brother Bear for eight months. I animated Grunt and Took, the moose characters, and and then I was done. And then uh, a freak thing happened. I, I'd just gone freelance and was going to start my own company, Funny Pages Productions, in Florida. And I got contacted by a buddy of mine that was a comic book artist, and he said, hey, I have a friend that's like a publisher in New York works for Watson Guptill. Watson Guptill had done the How to Draw the Marvel Way book, I think. Right, right, right. Um, some big ones that I knew of, uh, kind of art instruction books. And I was like, oh, wow. And, they, and anyway, he said, they want to do an animation book. Animation seems to be popular right now. They want to do an animation book. And you're the only animator I know. <laughs> um, so are you interested? And I went, yeah. Uh, you know, I just left Disney and I'm looking, I'm doing freelance and I'm thinking this is great timing. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I had started thinking about it and going, wait a second, there's all these, Richard Williams had just put out his big book, which um, I now I can't remember the title of it, but, um, and Eric Goldberg had, was going to have one out within a couple of years, character animation crash, co crash course. Um, but the, but the Richard Williams one, plus uh, Frank and Ollie's book from uh, way back when, they were kind of like, gee, they said it all. Yeah, you know? what more is there to add? Yeah. And so I, I kept thinking about it and went, you know what? What about character design? It's always like a chapter in each of those books, but there's never been a book mm -hmm. just on character design. And so I pitched that to the editor, and of course they didn't get it. They were like, what? Characters? Mm -hmm. We want an animation book. I said, no, no, this is animation. It's part of the process, but it's... Mm -hmm. The beginning part, and, and here's the best part, it, video games use it, feature mm -hmm. films use it with visual mm -hmm. effects, uh, TV, uh, you know, comic books, comic strips, they all use character design as the beginning part of the process. Um, so it's a big world. And once, once they got that yeah. picture, that it's not just a... It's what one. everything else is mm -hmm. built on. Yeah. Yeah. That then they went, oh, and I said, and you know, like web animation was getting popular at the time too. And I was like, and web animation too. And they're like, what? <laughs> you know, this is huge. Yeah. And so it was my pitch that did it. And so we were kind of the very first character design book out, um, at least from a big publisher like that. Um, and because of that, that book has gone on to uh, feed my family quite a bit, and, <laughs> and, uh, and mostly through jobs. I mean, I, from that point on, I've been a character designer yeah. Uh, primarily. Yeah. Wow. The uh, the podcast which we mentioned that you do with with Tony is pretty awesome, and it's you know it's this it's is it pretty awesome? It, it's it's very awesome. Oh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of you who might be listening to us and have not listened to listen to the Bancroft brothers, you really need to go subscribe right now because if you're interested in animation at all, um, the guests you have on and just the conversations between the two of you are inc so insightful and so um, eye-opening for so, even for both artists striving to be in the industry and for outsiders like me who are just curious about the industry and how things happen. Um, but you guys very quickly built up an audience. And, you know, I mean, it's, I, I know a lot of the guests you have on are personal friends of yours because of the careers you both had. But is that something that I mean, obviously, it's something that you enjoy doing the podcast. But has I mean, would you say that it's been a rewarding experience so far? Oh, yeah, it has. Um, I kind of pulled Tony into that. Um, the way that happened was, uh, uh, Tony was nowhere 
my generation of humans, <laughs> uh, but but uh, which maybe you guys are close to, but I, I think I'm older than both of you. Uh, we're not on the internet very much, and but animators, especially uh, for my generation and older, are definitely not. Yeah. So I had started getting into the internet, and I'm I'm working my way around to answer your question. Uh, <laughs> Uh, through social networking because I had gone freelance back when I left Disney uh, around 10 or 15 years ago. And so I thought, I got to get out there. I got to, people got to know I'm still alive so they'll offer me work and things like that. So I started a blog. I started uh, getting on Facebook and doing all those things. So, uh, and then once people kind of saw that I was online and they could find me and things like that, um, I would get freelance through Facebook or I'd get it through and then later on through Instagram and things like that. And um, it's been really beneficial. So a couple of years back, I said to Tony, who uh, he again, he wasn't online anywhere. He had a Facebook page, but that was it. I said, look, you got to be more out there. You, you know, just because you live in California and also I live in Nashville, everybody. So because I'm outside of the core, you know, studio world of, of California now, uh, for the last 12 years now, I felt like I was even more invisible. So that was the other reason I had to be online, I, I felt. So Tony was being in California, so he's like, oh, I have lunch with people. I, you know, they know where I am. They can, <laughs> you know, I said, yeah, but the rest of the world, you're just talking about a few studio people and especially like old guys like you. And by the way, we're all getting less and less work. So, you know, you need to like the young people got to know where you are and how to reach you. So, cause they're starting to get the jobs and they're going to be your boss pretty soon. So, um, he finally got it. We did the Bancroft brothers Facebook page. And so we launched a fan page with the two of us combined. Mm -hmm. And at first it was just sort of like a, well, it'll be half as much work. You know, you'll post something one day, I'll post something the other day. That Do way it doesn't work out that way, does it? Yeah, no, it doesn't really. But um, mostly it was like I was posting all the time and I would get on him to post something. <laughs> uh, but now it's become, it is a lot more 50-50. We both post stuff. and, and um, But out of that, we started getting a lot of followers on Facebook and we're up to 10,000 now on the fan page. And we started... Uh, we did a couple contests that like at, when we hit 5,000, I think it was that we said, Oh, you know, what do you want us to do? We we're going to do a Skype thing, a live Q and a or whatever. And somebody said, how about a podcast? You guys should do a podcast. And I saw that and I said, you know what? That is perfect because yeah. we already call each other all the time during the week. And we just mm -hmm. talk about animation. We don't talk about our families. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, I don't know how your kids are doing. You don't know how mine are doing. Just, just talk about, you know, yeah, it's, that's the running joke because we got the phone and our wives ask us, so what's going on with their kids and how's Renee or Jennifer? They ask about each other's wives. And we're always like, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> we didn't talk about that. <laughs> just talk about animation. So it just seemed like a perfect fit that every two weeks we'd get together and we just, record it on Skype. And that was the initial plan. And then that initial, that quickly fell apart. Cause we were like, well, after our first one, we're like, well, we've talked about everything. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's start doing interviews. And so we interviewed buddies and friends and, and that has just grown to now even some people, you know, more and more people we don't know, yeah. you know, firsthand maybe. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's been a lot of fun and it's been a nice release. I can, so, I, I can identify. I'll just say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you were talking a little bit about uh, making the book and it was an instructional book. So right now you're involved with something called taught by a pro. Yeah. And how, how has teaching, has it always been something you've wanted to do or is it maybe talk about what taught by a pro is for people that might not know? Yeah. You know, teaching has been something I've always wanted to do. And I guess I didn't really realize it during my Disney days. I'd start doing, uh, especially as I became kind of up the ladder and was a supervising animator, Disney would ask me to do sort of talks for the the new interns or for some of the younger artists. And so I would do classes on character design. And, and that kind of really started that ball rolling of me uh, kind of thinking about how I worked. And, and to me, that was the, that was the screw that turned that kind of unlocked everything. Um, for me actually doing the character design book later was that um, I realized that most artists were not very good at analyzing how we work. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's all ethereal. It's all, um, 
just when the juices hit us and, you know, it's, it's not easy to describe your process because we don't think about it. We just right. sort of like, we just do it. And, and a lot of artists, when you ask them that, I don't know, I just, I do the blue and then I add a little <laughs> green, and, you know, and they, they just kind of don't know how they work and what they're, and they're like, well, I, I guess, I guess I'm drawing first. And then I'm, you know, they're figuring it out as they're explaining it. And so I realized early on that I, I guess I started training myself to become more analytical of how, what my process was. And then asking other people, what's your process? My mentor, Mark Ken, I would always ask him how, I even asked him like, how do you move things through your desk? You know, do you put your paper over here and as you're animating and then you grab it, you put it on your disc, you draw over here and then put it over here. I was like noticing how sort of even just his little, how he set up his desk so that he was more efficient. Even mm -hmm. like little things like that are, to artists, it's it's like amazing. It's a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, "Oh my gosh!" Mark Ed puts his paper to the right, and he puts it over here. What he's done on the left, amazing. And yeah, and so I started realizing that not only me, but everybody else really cares about that stuff. What pencil you use and all that, mm. and so. Mm that just kind of evolved into me wanting to sort of pass that along and realizing that there was, then of course, once I did the, the book, the first book, I started realizing, well, there's a real market here for teaching art instruction in general, but animation specifically. And so anyway, a, a buddy of mine uh, approached me back uh, and we go to church together and he's an IT guy. And I was already doing some online classes where I'd be like, Hey, pay, I think it was like, uh, you know, 20, 10, or I think it was 10 bucks. And I would do a lecture for whoever showed up in like a, one of these Google Hangouts or whatever. Right. And, uh, and I would get like 80 or more people. And I would just, we just, I would just draw and I would, I would, I'd hit a topic, you know, on character design or on uh, in-betweening or whatever the topic was that night. And, and I'd teach a, a little lecture. And so that was becoming more and more popular. I'd done about six or eight of those. And so I said to him, I said, you know, what if we had a website that was sort of like the iTunes of art instruction, where you had videos there by top pros in comics and cartooning and, and animation and guys that really aren't very good with, they're not online anywhere either. You know, they're not good at being out there, but they can teach and they certainly know what they're doing. And so that's what Taught by a Pro became, uh, was our place, our little portal that has a lot of videos there on different subjects by different uh, different people, not just me. Uh, Tony has a couple of videos on there and, um, and where you can learn different aspects of animation and things like that. It's like, a, you know, you have to pay for it, you know, the, the video, but it's, it's access to a, a really high-end professional that most people can't get. Yeah. It seems like that was like an, almost an untapped market, you know, just there in retrospect, to. you know, looking at it, be like, Oh, of course there's such a need for this among artists and, you know, people who may not, not be going to, you know, an art school or something. They're just kind of trying to teach themselves or just trying mm -hmm. to do it on the yeah. side. And, um, yeah, I, I gotta and imagine that's in the U S but internationally it's yeah. even, they're even more hungry oh, because yeah. they have even yeah. less access to, people in the U S that, um, worked on all these Disney films that, that they're big fans of. So, and it's an insight into the, the, maybe not the studio, you know, industry, but how things work here, like how, how animators work, like you were saying, the process of just simply moving paper from one side to the other, but like how accepted ideas of, of how you turn in work or, or strategies and the skills that you need to, to know in order to be able to be competitive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, they they do get a window into that for sure. Awesome. Um, we've we've actually had a lot of people in the animation industry on the show, um, and you touched on this. I mean, I think a lot of them, if not all of them, live in the LA area, and you already mentioned that you don't. Um, have you found that to be difficult, or is it nowadays with you know like Skype, what we're using right now, or you know all the other tools at our disposal? Is it relatively easy to just work work from everywhere, anywhere? Well, I mean, my career has been different since I left Disney. I mean, yeah. I, I can cut my career in half right now. And, and like the first 12 or so years was at Disney and mostly at the Florida studio. And then the next 12 to, I don't know, maybe I'm into 15 now, um, have been mostly character design, a lot of freelance and, and some contract gigs that have lasted a few years too. So I've been comfortable in that way. Um, 
in that I've had long-term contracts for, uh, for, uh, about six now of those years. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't really go for the California work and that's yeah. kind of been what's key to me is I don't, not all the work I do is as sexy as this Disney days. Yeah. Um, some of it is kind of paying the bills art. Um, and I've done a lot of children's books and things like that. And, but it's all been fun. It's all been pretty rewarding. It's just a different kind of reward. Sure. Um, so yeah, I don't, I'm not making a feature film necessarily right now, but I am working on a, you know, an animated TV show and, um, doing character design for that. And it's a Christian one. So it's something that I care about. Um, you know, but then I do a lot of other freelance for, you know, either book publishing or, or, um, uh, comic books sometimes it's funny i just yesterday uh, and it's weird how the the work comes but it, i just posted a, a drawing i'd done with uh, betty and veronica i have an instagram account tom bancroft one if you want to go find it <laughs> and it's the same for my twitter um uh, but I, I posted on instagram this draw this is a sketch i'd done with uh, betty and veronica it was sort of slightly my version but it was sort of dan de carlo classic style and uh and it's funny because that then it goes to Facebook. I have it set up so it goes mm -hmm. to Facebook and Twitter and all that. And uh, I get a Facebook message from the president of Archie Comics because he's like, "I saw that, and my kids are already a fan because of your books because mm -hmm. they want to they want to be animators and artists, so they're looking at your books during the day." And I I was already a fan and I follow you on Facebook. And anyway, so when I saw you do this, Betty and Veronica, I got all excited, made my day. <laughs> and now would you do some covers for us? Wow. Oh and I was God. like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I just did that for you. Yeah, no, it was, you know, it was one of those things where I wasn't, I never thought I wanted to do Betty and Veronica comic covers, yeah. but it's one of those things where it comes your way and you're like, yeah, I would, yeah I why not? These. I, I love yeah. Betty and Veronica. I'd love to give my, put my hat in there. So I, anyway, I mean, that's, uh, that's more of a reflection on the internet and yeah, right that where work comes from is so different than uh, our, our parents' generation, yeah. you know? I'd imagine, I gotta imagine it's so much more rewarding too, just the instant gratification of it, you know, putting out a picture and just seeing your fans or whomever is, happens to see that picture, just, you know, the likes or the favorites or the comments back. And I know you put out a lot of pictures and you've got a few people who color them for you. You know, yeah. so it's like it's that's got to be so much more rewarding than it probably was at the beginning of your career where you got zero feedback from the people who ultimately saw it. Oh, yeah. And and that was the weird thing about being at Disney in those early days of 2D animation. You could be working on being the Beast or Aladdin or Pocahontas, but nobody knew what you were doing during the day. They hadn't seen that movie until it came out. Right. right. And right. then so by then you're already on another film. So it's it's like a, a year and a half working on those films before they come out, right? And yeah. so that's a long time to not get a pat on the back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So you had to wait that year and a half, two years before somebody went, oh, I really like that. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did do that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Did you laugh at what point? <laughs> yeah, a long time to wait for a laugh, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that leads into... My next question is, when you worked at Disney and you were spending so many, you know, weeks and months and possibly years on a film or a very specific character, you know, like like Mushu or Pocahontas, did you ever just get fed up with them? Like, did you ever just get to the point where, like, at the end of the day, you just go home and you're like, I don't want to see a picture of Mushu for another <laughs> month, you know? And You, you would think that. It's amazing how rare that is. I, I think as artists in general we never feel like we're there yet, you know? Um, and when you're, when you're going from one film to another to another, you're constantly just trying to keep up with, am I drawing him right? Does he look right from this angle? Every day is a new challenge, even if you're working on the same character for a year, yeah. because no drawing is alike. And so I think that's what keeps it fresh, is that you kind of are always being challenged by that, that character. Um, like, I remember getting on Lion King and, and working on Young Simba, and I had looked at Mark Hens, he had designed the final version of Simba, and I looked at his model sheets and I'd done my own drawings of him and I kind of felt like I was ready, I knew his general proportions. So when they gave me that first scene, and I was one of the very first people on the on the Simba uh, unit to get work, mm -hmm. it was me and Mark Hens were just starting to, to and so he wasn't even like 100% figured out yet. 
Um, so my first scene though, that came my way was Simba, uh, again, not a great scene. You don't start out with the best stuff, but the first one was of him, the hyenas had just chased him and he jumps off the hill to get away from him. And he rolls down the hill right. into the briar patch to get away from him. Right. That whole little section where the hyenas had chased him and he decides to jump off the cliff, roll yeah. down the hill. Mm -hmm. So I did, my very first scene was of him rolling down a hill. and. <laughs> I thought, oh, I got this. He's, he's just going to be like a flower sack. Kind of <laughs> but it hit me as soon as I, I did the first drawing of him sort of like in the air, about to hit the ground. I did the second one. And about by the third drawing of him like hitting the ground and his body kind of crunching up, I realized really fast, I don't know animal anatomy at all. <laughs> and it hit me like a load of bricks that yeah. I wasn't going to the scene so i literally put the scene off for about a half a week and really quickly studied lion anatomy for about three or four days and watched videos watched uh some animation that had been done by rune aquino just started really analyzing how quadrupeds move it all the sort of science behind it that we yeah. really need to know to be able to rotate a character in space so that you don't yeah. know how to draw you know <laughs> And so that's basically what Simba was doing. He was rolling and tumbling and twisting all the way down this hill. And while it went by like that, like in a second, um, it, I had to draw all those drawings sure. still, you know? So uh, that was sort of the day that it hit me that, oh, wait a second, I really don't know this character at all. <laughs> so, but that that's interesting. And I don't mean to interrupt, but that's interesting because they just kind of let you figure that out on your own, that like you had to do research into lion anatomy. Well, no, yes and no. They'd expected that we would do that, and they mm -hmm. supplied us with all that, and they did kind of make us do certain things. Like we did, they brought actually brought in lions and mm -hmm. real lions, and we went to the zoo. Into the office. They they brought them into well, big yeah, like a big part of our office. Nice. And hold on. <laughs> I'm sorry, an alarm just went off on my phone. <laughs> so uh oh, you bet. Um, but yeah, they brought in some real live uh, lions. I actually touched a, a full-grown lion, and we had a little lion cub, and we did life drawing. And, and yeah. so we had done a lot of that stuff, uh, or some of that. But like I said, I was one of the first on. So yeah. while that stuff was still going on, a lot of people had a, another month or two of, of that training. Yeah. I was already getting my first scenes and expected, you yeah. know, that had And they didn't show you that cute little baby lion tumbling down a hill. No, they never threw a lion cub down the hill for me and videotaped it. I'm so tempted to do You that. should have just done it. I know. Excuse so, me, I'm just going to take this lion for a second. Yeah, <laughs> borrow that. Yeah, take the leash off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't get that. So, um, in in the recent years, um, not I mean, it's been a while now, but the CG animation has become the big you know it's the big thing people go to see and all the studios are making it um so with that transition how has animators roles changed the most drastic aside from you know pen to brush for a computer that type of thing uh how has animators roles changed yeah like how how has animators roles changed like the most like in what you do or did oh. you do a lot of animators shift to cg how did how did it work it's all yes and no answers yeah. uh, because uh, while they say that CG animation is, Oh, it's, it's just animation. It's just a new tool. And mm -hmm. it's such a lie. Don't ever believe it when you hear it. <laughs> I, Cause when I made that transition, I, I had left Disney and I went to uh, big idea productions, the makers of veggie tales yep. back in about 2000, they were going to do their first feature film. And I really felt a calling, I guess you could say, to, to go there and help them. And so I left Disney, uh, and this was right after Tarzan, and uh, uh, to go help them with that. And so that was the first place that, and they're a CG animation studio, very basic characters, obviously, right. you know, tomatoes and cucumbers yep. and things, no <laughs> arms, no legs, but uh, but a lot, but still, it's the same process. And right. so I had to learn Maya, and and that's the software that uh, they use and Disney uses um, to create CG animation. And so I did that for about three months, but literally had maybe three. I'm sorry, that's my dog barking. Can you hear that? <laughs> that's fine. Okay, 
But I literally had maybe three days worth of training by one of the other animators. And now, see, they didn't need to teach me how to animate, but they did need to teach me all the techniques or the the technical side of using Maya, which was a whole new thing. Mm -hmm. And so here I am. Then I saw, I go, okay, I think I got it. And I started moving it around, you know, with the mouse and I'd take a keyframe and then I'd, you know, move it into another position, do another keyframe and do like five or six of them. And then I'd hit play and, and it looked horrible. It didn't look anything like what I imagined. Now, and, and this is after doing Disney animation for about 11 or so years and feeling like I, I when I left, I pretty much gotten it. You know what I mean? Like I, it wasn't like I, I did everything perfect, but at least it takes about 10 years to you really knew what you be were doing. A, a decent animator, right? In, to, in traditional animation. And so I was at that point, it was pretty comfortable at, with 2D. And now I'm doing, in my mind, I, I understand the timing and I can see what it's supposed to look like, but now I'm animating in 3D and I don't know what it was, but the timing was completely wrong it, and it wasn't smooth. It was all jerky. And so that transition into CG is not as easy as people try and make it sound. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, yes, a lot of people have made that transition. A lot of my 2D buddies went off to Pixar and got trained and and did pretty well. A lot of them did not. Uh, a lot of them did not make that transition well and haven't uh, tried it for a while, did not do very well at it. And even after a few years, and maybe even a couple of productions, uh, left it uh, or, or got laid off. And these were, some, in some cases, some really high-end 2D guys that just couldn't make that transition. And I'm, in a way, one, I, I after doing that little bit of VeggieTales animation, I said, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go direct this 2D show for you guys. And so I stayed at VeggieTales for a little while longer, but really concentrated on character design and storyboarding mm-hmm. and directing. And that was definitely a better home for me. So, yeah, yeah it's CG's really changed the industry by quite a bit. I mean, like, to me, that uh, a lot of my 2D buddies... Uh, when 2D went away and we don't get to an- animate by hand anymore uh, like we used to, it's like you lost your hand, uh, one of your appendages. You know, one of your skill sets, one of your big skill sets is now gone. Okay, so some of the animators, 2D animators, weren't great, great draftsmen, but boy, they could act with a pencil. Mm-hmm. They could make their characters come to life. They really knew movement and timing and all the aspects of animation really well. And so they didn't have to draw super well. You know, the cleanup people would kind of fix their drawings and stuff. So you take away animation, and that was kind of their biggest appendage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds nasty now. <laughs> uh, but, but that was their their biggest skill set. And and now they have to go be a children's book illustrator or a storyboard artist or whatever, and yeah. that's not their best skill set. Sure. And so... Uh, I was fortunate in that I kind of reinvented myself, like I said already, with the character design thing and all that, that I had another avenue to go down uh, that's been successful for me, and I'm very blessed by it. Um, But that's not been true of everybody, and it's been very heartbreaking. I mean, it seems, and I know you guys have talked about this a lot, and it comes up in a lot of articles and conversations, you know, is traditional hand-drawn dead? Are we never going to see it again? But it seems like there's a great hunger out there among audiences to see that type of animation again we see you see it a lot because it's not dead there are still people out there doing it you know and you see you see it in shorts mostly now um Mm -hmm. you know you see it coming out of japan um you see you know and then things just appear seemingly out of nowhere even though they're not like glenn Keane's short you know blew everybody away who saw it and it's all hand drawn you know and then everybody every time there's a new studio ghibli that comes out people are blown away at how beautiful it is um so i think that there's this hunger out there among audiences and i'm just why are studios so reluctant to take that risk well, I totally agree with you. I, I think that, and, and now I've got into, um, you know, not only taught by a pro art instruction, but now I'm teaching at Lipscomb University here in Nashville, and I've started an animation program. So I'm, I'm giving you like an insight mm. that people don't see, okay? That this is a secret insight. So listen up, everybody. The, the generation of 20-year-olds and even 30-year-olds, they love 2D animation, they're the ones that are in art school right now and learning to be an animator don't want to do CG. They want to do 2D and they fight it. And so they're studying 2D animation still. They, they shouldn't be. That's not where the jobs are. Yeah. 
But I see, I foresee a uh, a big uh, wave of 2D animation coming back because of that nostalgia level that you're talking mm-hmm. about, but also because there's gonna be a whole new army of 2D animators because they just love it yeah. and they wanna they wanna do it no matter if it's making money or not. And they're because that's what they grew up with. They were and a lot of them are female now too. When my generation it was all guys and it was very few women. Now we got a lot, a big influx of, of girls and or women in in the animation industry, but also in the at the art schools uh, training to be animators because they wanted to be they they went beyond what their their girlfriends wanted. Their little girlfriends wanted to be Ariel or imagine they were whatever they wanted to design Ariel. <laughs> you know, they wanted to. That was what got them drawing was Ariel and and Jasmine and things like that. Not just being a princess, but drawing it. Yeah. So. That's the wave that's coming, and and I do, I don't. It's not going to be like it ever was. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly not saying that, um, because here's the other dirty secret um, that we've mentioned on the podcast that most people don't know about. But Disney doesn't have all those 2D animators and cleanup artists and even the equipment anymore. All the desks they've all been sold or given away. Mm-hmm. All those people have been laid off. They have like a small handful, literally a handful of of people that were still do 2D animation at Disney and maybe eight, 10, whatever people. And, and they're really key players, but they're not being used very much. They're but doing, those people are still out there. I mean, they could still staff up. Yeah. Now. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're kind of like me. They're, they're aging, aging up and everything, but they're, mm-hmm. you know, uh, rusty. Uh, and, uh, and there are people in Europe, Europe's animation still big in Europe and in Japan and 2D animation. I mean, uh, so, Definitely, you could staff a studio, but it would be a virtual studio. So I guess what I'm saying is when it comes back, it's not going to come back at Disney or DreamWorks or Sony, any of the big studios. They're not going to bring back 2D animation. Yeah. That that They're too big of a ship and can't turn very quickly uh, because they'd have, to, they'd have to basically start a whole new studio to, to get back into the game. But these other smaller studios – bought some of those animation desks and stuff from Disney mm-hmm. and they are still around or they're in Europe and, and they can all can kind of combine together. And again, this is how Tom, uh, Tom Moore does it with uh, song of the sea and uh, his films that he does in, in uh, uh, Ireland um, is he kind of combines a bunch of 2d studios and says, Hey, do you want to do a piece? You want to do a piece? And, he directs it, but but it's being kind of virtually produced at a few different studios, and, and that's how it's going to come back. Yeah, in kind of a smaller way. Yeah. Um, do you think that we we've talked about this before on our podcast? And um, do you think that we will ever see a Disney lead female character who's not traditionally attractive? I know that's kind of out of left field, but we we're just talking about. But there have been yeah. a lot of there have been a lot of male characters for sure, usually the villains, but you know a lot of male characters who have been yeah ugly, it, you know. Yeah. But all of the females, whether I mean, just leaving aside the princesses, but just all female characters, even the villains, they are still you know I would still call them traditionally attractive. And I'm just yeah. wondering if we'll ever see a female character that's just not. I like that. I mean, it's a great question. And I certainly, I know I'm open to it. Uh, um, I, I would love to see kind of a, you know, whatever you want to call it, husky or, yeah. you know, of course that would still be attractive to a lot of people. Sure. Uh, including myself. So I don't know if, um, but again, not traditionally. So, yeah. uh, you know, I like that idea. And, um, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know if you'll see it from the big studios. I, I yeah. think, again, that'll be the independent players that do that kind of a different kind of a film where they go into new directions. And maybe it's a modern tell, you know, mm-hmm. where the girl's got a little bit of stri- streak of purple in her hair and she's a, yeah. kind of a comic geek character, you know, that's kind of cool, but, but you know, not traditionally yeah. attractive or something like that. Um, and, man, it's a great idea. Yeah. I'd love, um, love to see it. Um, yeah couple more questions. I know we've been, we've kept you for a little while. I just want to quickly go back to what we were talking about um, with uh, sort of the, the shift to CG and, and whether we'd ever see hand-drawn again. Justin and I have talked about this uh, in the past. And when you look at the slate of films, let's just focus on Disney because they're mm-hmm. the biggest player. When you focus on the slate of films that they have coming up, um, you know, when they when you look at their animated films, you look at their Pixar films, you look at the Marvel studios, you look at their live action remakes. 
they're making so many movies and all of these movies have big budgets. Yeah. What would it hurt them to just say, all right, one of these films is going to be a traditionally hand-drawn. I mean, just like, let's throw them a bone and see what, see how it'll do. Is it just that they don't have the, the staffing anymore, like you were saying, or do you think that there's something else? Uh, I think I'm to me, uh, yeah, I don't know if it, I would say it's 50, 50. I mean, my guess is that it's 50%. Oh, wow. We'd have to retool, you know, it's like you're, you're, a, uh, what in the car industry, right? You're making Volkswagens at your, yeah. uh, at your, your place. And now you're going to retool to, to do Audi, you know, or yeah. some kind of a sedan. And, uh, and you have to basically go through the whole, you know, company and retool the thing. And, and it's extremely expensive to do. Um, and then retrain all of your staff on a, on a new car. Um, it's almost the exact same thing, you know, where very little of the CG pipeline would be the same in a 2D. I, maybe I shouldn't say very little, but, but uh, maybe a, a, a skeleton of it would be a similar pipeline. Um, but then you'd be adding in all this new stuff and new, new staff, as we said already. Um, I mean, do I think that it would be a smart move? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, because while I think they think, well, that's just not what we're known for anymore. I would guess that their marketing people would kind of say that, uh, we've kind of go down this road and we've had a lot of success, obviously frozen and tangled, but frozen, especially, you know, they've had some pretty big success lately. Wreck-It Ralph was good. They've, they've done a few nice CG films. And, of course, Pixar, that's that's all they do. Right. So they're so deep into that world and they know how to sell it. They know, you know, uh, them kind of turning the boat around to do that one 2D thing. Uh, again, I could see them more uh, – buying a, a traditionally animated film that was made in Europe or buy a bunch of young upstarts that's really, really good, almost yeah. to the level they would have done, and just buying it and distributing it. Yeah. And and I really think that would be more their their plan. Is well, that's and, what they've yeah. done with Studio Ghibli. I mean, they just distribute, yeah. they distribute them here. Most of them, not all of them. Exactly. Many of them. They, so they can put their foot back into that pond by buying a studio yeah. or by buying a film, you know, um, that somebody else has already done. So... You know that that that's kind of their mo too, I and mean, that's that's it why is, it is true. they bought Marvel rather than you know start a comic book company. They they bought one, you know. So yeah. well, and you know it's kind of hard to argue with their recent success too. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're not stupid. No, <laughs> I don't think so. And that's the thing is, I think that people forget is that they they don't look at Disney as not only one a company but a juggernaut. You know, it's it's a it's this massive company. So they, they can't do anything small. They, yeah. they don't, that's not the way they think because it takes so much synergy between all the, their travel agents, their theme parks, all their, right. how does this film work into our theme parks? And they want to kind of work it through the whole company sure. if it's going to make money uh, because for it to make money, it has to be huge. Right. So the budget has to be huge. So therefore it has to be universal. It has to go work well overseas. It has to, so them doing like a small indie kind of feeling film, it's never going to happen. It doesn't fit into their uh, into their pipeline. You know, they're too expensive for it. You know, I guess so. They're 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 too big for those kind of films anymore, which is a shame. Yeah. And it's I mean it's it wouldn't take a whole lot of radical thinking to really bring them back to see that it's in their bench, probably in their best interest to do something like that, especially when they have you know, 14 million live action remakes coming out of their classic yeah. animated films, you know, that it really would want I mean, them to just do one more. What you're saying is smart. And, and, and I would love to see them go, you know what, we can't do it in California probably, mm-hmm. but what if we started a, a little studio somewhere and where there's maybe a heart of 2d guys still around or whatever and, and pull, have them kind of pull it all together and, and make it, but we'll fund it. And, mm-hmm. They can make their little dream film and then another one and another one. And, and we'll, it'll still be Walt Disney feature animation. It'll mm-hmm. just be this small 2D division of it. And and I, I guarantee it would make good money. It would, okay. well, it would well make more than what they spend on it. Um, but, you know, again, they, they, they're doing all right with Marvel. and all Yeah, why would they rock the boat exactly? Infinity, uh, you know, Star every, Wars. Everything. Yeah, Star Wars. <laughs> Forgot that one. 
So it's just uh, so. In addition to the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast, in addition to Taught by a Pro, what else have you got going on right now? What other projects are you doing? Man, uh, I always forget them. I have so many going on and too many because I, I don't get things done, you know, <laughs> uh, and I hate that. But uh, yeah, Top by Pro is a big one. And we're about to launch a new program where it'll be a, um, a specific to character design, but it'll be a long term. It won't be just one video. It'll be a string of it with some live interaction from me. It's going to be like a whole package uh, through hopefully about a month or so um, of of learning character design sort of from beginning to end. So kind of a thorough um, package that we've never done before. And I'm excited about that. Um, I'm also teaching at Lipscomb, uh, Lipscomb, uh, sorry, Lipscomb University in Nashville. So I mentioned that and I, I started that animation program. So I'm pretty proud of that. Um, and we're just in the, our first year. So um, that's going to just keep developing. Um, what else? Boy. Oh, well, I have two feature films. I'm just going to throw this out there. Oh. You asked. <laughs> I have two feature films that uh, I've written with a buddy of mine, Stephen Fox. He's a good screenwriter. And uh, one, both of them are live action, but one is live action with a 2D animation element. Nice. So that's exciting. Uh, probably near impossible to get funded, but I, <laughs> I, love the, I love the idea behind it and the story. So those are things that I'm kind of picking at. I have a TV series that I want to do. I mean, I'm, I'm out there kind of pitching stuff right now. And, and I must admit that's kind of newer to me. I, I, for whatever reason, I guess I was just comfortable or whatever, but I... I didn't, I didn't do that for a long time. And now I'm, I, I think I feel the clock ticking, you know, I'm going to be 50 in about a year and a half. So I feel like, man, I, I, I still got, I'm still have energy. I want to, I want to do You're something not out of the game. Yeah. I want to do something big while I still have the energy to do it. So I kind of feel the clock ticking. That's why I'm kind of racing in about five different directions right now. Well, that's not always a bad thing. As long as, yeah. as long as you're making some forward movement in at least one of those directions, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I am in, in two or three of them at least. Excellent. So, yeah. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been insightful as always. I, uh, you know, I, what I was expecting after listening to you know your, your talks on your show that this is just, it's just been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, and like I said, we'll we'll include links to everything that you've got going on so people can find you and 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 hear from you and see your pictures especially because you're really great about putting up art every day. Yeah, go to my Instagram, Tom Backroft One. <laughs> no, but thank you so much. It was an honor to be on here. I'm glad you finally got to the better twin. <laughs> oh yeah, we didn't even get while. to the trash talk. <laughs> I know. Well, I'll start it now if you want. <laughs> He's so ugly. <laughs> no, twins calling each other ugly is kind of dumb. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Oh, thank you. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Another fascinating conversation. And something funny in that interview, I actually had to leave early the day we recorded it. And I think, Jamie, you were telling me after, Tom was like, that's the first time I ever had someone walk out on it. He just walked out in the middle of the interview. (laughs) Oh, Yeah, that was one of those moments. Keeping it classy. That's the way I roll, right? I'm going to do it when we interview LeVar Burton. Yeah, you're like, you're like if, you, if you're if you just if you don't if you lose my attention if you lose my interest I'm just gonna walk I'm just yeah. gonna bounce I'm gonna walk out I'm gonna leave Skype going because you can keep talking if you want to but I'm not gonna be here yeah. to listen to here, you. I'm gonna email you the questions and just answer them <laughs> as just if I run was the, here. Run your own interview, please. <laughs> and mentioning Levar Burton, I'm not sure when that's happening, but we do have him on the schedule. So there's the announcement. I think we've already announced it once, but you just like leak the announcement. We've already announced it, though, I think. Yeah, yeah. We're just, we're working. He's had to reschedule a couple times. So um, we've had it on the calendar twice and he had to reschedule twice. But yeah, he is definite. We're going to have him on in the next week or so. We're going to interview him in the next week or so and then Mm -hmm. release the interview a few weeks after that. And this is one of the ones that I'm really nervous for. So I can't wait. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Hopefully you're not going to bounce out in the middle of that one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right, guys. Um, What was I going to say? Oh. One more thing. I'm going to be Steve Jobs. One more thing. Um, We are in the Google Play Store now. We are. Awesome. That's pretty cool. (laughs) 
What does I that was, mean? Well, I was looking around. It's like, well, if you subscribe to us, most likely through iTunes, if you have an Android, there is now an app on the Android where you can find us through Google Play. And I was looking at their interface. A little, I don't have an Android or anything, but I was looking on the online version, and it looks pretty neat. It looks pretty... Uh, I don't know, because iTunes leaves a lot to be desired. We'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with you very much on that point. Um, if you don't open up iTunes, like the actual program, if you just go through like their web page, right. you can't actually see the entire – at least I can't. Maybe no. I'm doing something wrong. You can't see the, the entire title of, of yeah. any episode or if you're looking at podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way to just like expand the title. So, yeah, I did the same thing. I looked at the Google Play um, listing for our show, and it's very clean. Yeah. You can see everything. You can read everything. It and looks you can nice. even listen to them right there on the page, Listen too. to it right there. There's none of this malarkey where, like, you have yeah. to click on something, and it's going to open Launches up software on your computer, <laughs> which is like a resource hog and yep. slows everything down. And, God, I hate iTunes. I know. Well, and yeah, it's just going to – I think it's going to be great. And it's through Google, so I'm assuming there's going to be some nice search – uh, it's going to help us out with search a little bit being in the Google Play versus yeah. iTunes. Who knows? We'll see. We're, we, we'll see. We to I'm happy that we're in it at launch. <laughs> you know, that's I, pretty cool. I, I am too. So, you know, <laughs> fingers crossed only good things can come out of that, right? Right, exactly. And if you want to subscribe, you can go to iTunes and Google Play both or Stitcher or there's a lot of places. <laughs> if they just serve Google our us. feed, just, Google just our search name. For us. We'll find, you'll, find we'll us pop on up Geek somewhere. Dad. We're somewhere. <laughs> all right guys you can find us on twitter at the gbb podcast facebook facebook.com slash the gbb podcast and i am justin at 140 justin c i'm jamie at the robots and we like to converse so message us <laughs> we like we, to converse we like to converse i like to come talk. converse with us yeah. <laughs> all right guys we'll see you next week take care <laughs> This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.